I feel like God's hand is on this service and that God, He dealt with me in a different way this week, and, uh, but I believe it's fitting for our time. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 17. Again, I just want to say it's good to see all of you guys. Amen. It's good to preach to people. And I know we were preaching to people by airwaves and internet and all of that, but it's good to see some faces looking back. Amen. And now we'll, we'll see whether I'm doing good or not today. I don't know how I did on those Wednesday nights that I taught. Y'all might have been uh, eating your sandwich and not paying attention, but it's good to be in God's house doing what God ordained, isn't it? Amen. 1 Kings chapter 17, I'm going to read in the first verse of Scripture. And uh, the Lord brought me back to this passage. I've preached from it before. Um, not, not the same message or topic, but God brought me back to it this week. And I thought, man, how, how does that fit with where we're living now? And the Lord began to un unravel some things for me um, and, and deal with me personally about some things in this season and this time that I want to share with you today. What a fitting weekend on Memorial Weekend when we celebrate those who gave their lives. And you'll see what I'm talking about. What a fitting message about the power of giving. Amen. First Kings chapter 17 comes from the life of Elijah. It says, Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishba in Gilead said to Ahab the king, as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall neither be dew nor rain these years except by my word. God sends Elijah to the king Ahab and says, because of your rebellion and because of your leadership, a famine and a drought is going to come upon the land and there shall neither be dew nor rain until I say so. And the word of the Lord came to him, Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Sherith, which is east of the Jordan, and you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. What I want you to see is God brings famine and drought upon Elijah's world, but he protects and provides Elijah by bringing him to this brook. And he said, you'll drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. Ravens are falling down at his feet saying, hey, here I am. Send me. Eat me, right? That'd be like the chicken running and jumping on your plate. Amen. And God sends the ravens, and the ravens feed Elijah there. And the Bible tells us, he says, uh, that he went and did according to the word of the Lord, and he went and lived by the brook Sherith that is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. But after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. And listen to verse 8. The word of the Lord came to him and said, Arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there, for behold... I have commanded a widow there to feed you. He says, I want you to leave where you're at, and I want you to go to this widow because I have commanded her to feed you. There's little evidence that she had any clue of what was happening. 
little evidence that God spoke audibly to her about that. But God had ordained an encounter between this woman and Elijah so that she could be a blessing to the purpose and the plan of God. Can we just bow our heads and pray, Lord, I pray that you would speak in this room, God, that you would come into this place and and minister, Lord, in a powerful way, God. I pray that when we leave here and when we close this service, God, that we will have a revelation of what you are looking for from us in a time of trouble, in a time of need. In Jesus' name, we pray and we ask it. In Jesus' name, would you say amen as you're seated? Amen. Today, I want to speak to you about when God says give. When God says give. You know, my thoughts ran this morning to the fact that we like things to be easy. Can I get an amen? Amen. I went fishing with the kids the other day, and then Joss and I went back out another time, and I, I told her, I said, I like fishing with you a whole lot more than fishing with the kids because it's easier. We like things to be easy, don't we? We love convenience and ease, and, and in our world today, easy religion is prevalent uh, in our modern culture because we want a God who gives much but doesn't ask for a lot either. We want a God that pours out blessing and pours out uh, uh, abundance, and, and we love sermons about promise, and we love hearing about all the things that God is going to give us. Sometimes our sermons, and I'm hitting myself here, it sounds like a country song in reverse. I'm going to get my wife back. I'm going to get my truck back. I'm going to get all the stuff back that I lost. And we love that stuff. We gobble it up. The most popular messages online are going to be the messages about what God is going to do for you. Can I get an amen? Is it all right if I just come up in here and be real today? We like easy religion, a God who gives much but doesn't ask for a lot. But listen, sometimes God asks us for things that aren't easy to give. Sometimes God asks us to do things that are not easy to do. He asks us to believe when we cannot see. He asks us to rejoice when we are persecuted. He asks us to love those that hate us and pray for those that despitefully use us. Sometimes God asks us to give when it hurts, to let go of things that we were trying to hold on to, to move forward into the future when we feel paralyzed by our past. And if you were to ask Abraham today, he would say that God sometimes asks us to leave where we are without telling us where we're going. If you were to ask Moses, he would tell you that God will ask you to do things that you feel unqualified and unable to do. If you were to ask Joseph, he would tell you that God will give you a purpose. But that purpose and that dream can cost you years of suffering before seeing any sign of the promise. If you ask Noah, he would tell you that God will sometimes ask you to preach to people that will not respond to you. I feel you, Noah. <laughs> I've been there too. People that will never 
change. God sends preachers to preach to those people too. And Noah would tell you that God will ask you to build a boat that those same people will never get on. Jonah would tell you that God will send you to places and to people that you don't even like. And Daniel would tell you that God will put you in a place where your obedient faith will land you in a lion's den. Is it alright if I just tear off the band-aid about our faith today? Is God asks us to do stuff that isn't easy. As much as we would like to come and celebrate and just say God wants to bless you and God wants to give to you and you just sit back. Uh, you, you know, sometimes I think we ought to install like lazy boys on the pews. Just sit back and, and let him pour it all over you. But understand this, that's not how faith works. That's not the story of faith that we see in the scripture because God will come to you and when you encounter God, he will ask things from you that are difficult to do, difficult to say yes to. David would tell you that God will call you to a crown, but he will send you to a cave. Is anybody hearing me this morning? Sometimes God asks us for things that we don't want to give. He sends us places that we don't want to go. He sets us in circumstances we would have preferred to avoid. And sometimes he asks for more than we are prepared to give. The story of scripture is overwhelming with God making seemingly unreasonable demands of those who engage with him. Take thy son, Abraham, thine only son, and place him on the altar, and give me your only son. Moses, here's an unreasonable request. Pick up that snake. Moses, it was easy to lay it down when it was a rod, but take up that serpent so that it can become a rod again. God asks us difficult things. Some of y'all would have canceled your calling right there. God would have been like, I'm done, Jesus. I'm out. (laughs) It's over. But God, he says, pick up the snake. Joshua, here's what I want you to do. I want you to march silently around the walls of Jericho for seven days. I want you to give up all the strategy and the element of surprise with your enemy. And I want you to go to battle seemingly the worst way possible. Broadcast to them what you're about to do. Over. And over again, Scripture shows us that God asks us for things that aren't easy. In difficult moments, He often asks for difficult things. But hear me today, when He does, He always delivers. Because Faith's Hall of Fame is filled with people who found a way through extraordinary circumstances. People who faced unbelievably difficult circumstances in faith. And came out with a testimony of the goodness of God. And sometimes we want to desperately avoid the pain, avoid the sorrow, avoid the sacrifice. But listen to me today. When God meets you in the middle of a mess and he asks you to give something that you're not ready to give, you need to understand that that moment of adversity is your opportunity. In 1 Kings 17, Elijah did a difficult thing. God spoke through Elijah to Ahab that for three years no rain will come upon the land. And that sentence affected everything around 
the prophet Elijah. The entire nation was thrown into a drought and famine that would reach both the rich and the poor. Elijah himself was being kept by God, fed at the brook called Cherith. But even that brook would dry up, and God sends ravens to feed the man of God. And, and, and here he is. He's surviving. He's doing well. But meanwhile, the world around him is hurting. Families are suffering. The economy is crumbling. And people were starving to death because of the word that God spoke through the prophet. Elijah and God finally cuts off Elijah's supply and the brook dries up and the ravens just don't come around anymore and God says I want you to go to Zarephath and I have commanded a woman there to feed you now, there's no evidence that she had any clue what was about to happen in her life that she had any idea that God was about to ask these things of her. But verse 10 says that Elijah gathered his few small things and he went to Zarephath. And he came to the gate of the city and behold, there's a widow there gathering sticks. And he called to her and he said, bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And she went and made a move to go bring it. And then as she was on her way, he stopped her and he said, you know what, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. There's no way that Elijah could have by the flesh known what she was doing there that day and where she was at in that moment in her life. But he would soon find out that he asked a very hard thing for this widow to do. He said, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked. I only have a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I'm out here gathering these little sticks so that I can go and prepare it for my son and myself so that we may eat it and die. You ever felt like you had bad timing? You said the wrong thing at the wrong time. This is the point where probably me and most other people would have been like, whoops, sorry. Oh, I thought you were someone else. Is that you, Sister, uh, Sister Mary? Oh, oh, I thought that was Mary. You ever, when you were a kid, run up and grab the wrong dad's leg? Walking and you thought you grabbed your dad? You know that feeling when you jump back and you're like, I don't know you. I remember that feeling, well, I did it all the time. I'm sure that that's probably how Elijah felt. Because he said, bring me a morsel of bread. God said, there's a woman there who's going to feed you. And the way that we cast in our mind, I'm just, this from the first book of imagination, I'm sure Elijah thought she must have bread. Everybody else don't have bread, but God knows who has bread. And he sent me to the one that has bread. And so he asked for some bread. And she says, you don't understand, preacher, what you're asking me to do. I'm out here gathering these sticks. You see these sticks? These are for the small fire to cook my last meal. We're about to eat the last little bit of flour and oil we have. And then we're going to starve to death and die. My bad. I'm sorry. The nice thing would have been to move along and let this woman off the hook. She had it bad enough already. 
The issues in her economy had impacted her enough already. She had been asked to give up enough already. And Elijah had been eating good, fed by God, while this woman's over here rationing. And he had been fed by ravens, and this woman didn't have anybody to provide for her. She had nobody to fend for her. She had nothing left from what she little she could earn on her own. And that she was just going to eat and die. But no, that isn't what happens. Elijah asked a hard thing from this woman. A tough thing. It almost seems unimaginable that he would push forward with his request. Go to the bridge where they hand sandwiches out to the homeless, to the man who hasn't eaten and is on his last leg and say, Hey, can I have a bite of your sandwich? It seems unreasonable. It seems unthinkable. But Elijah goes on and he asks her, to go ahead with it because Elijah said to her, listen, do not fear. Go and do as you have said. Go back and make that last morsel. He said, but first, make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward, make something for yourself and your son. I can only imagine the look on her face. You want what? How dare you? Don't you understand what we're dealing with? Our world is falling apart. Our finances have suffered. We've got one meal left. We're at the point of death and starvation. And you want me to give what I have to you? She's living through unimaginably difficult times. And here was God asking of her an unimaginably difficult thing. Feed the prophet first and then eat what is left. And some of us might have marched right off before Elijah could finish what he was saying. But understand this today, that God never asked us to give without a promise attached to what he has asked of us. It wasn't Elijah that was asking. It was God that was commanding. And if it had been Elijah, it might have been unjust. But when God commanded the widow, she didn't even know that she was ordained for this moment in her life. And all she could see was the cost. But behind the cost, there was a promise that was attached to what God was asking of her. Behind the sacrifice, behind the sorrow, behind the sowing, there was something that God was wanting to do for her that she could not see, that she could not imagine, that she could not have concocted. For eye has not seen, and ear has not heard, and neither has it entered into the heart of man the good things that God has prepared for them that love him and hear me today it was not just Elijah asking it was God commanding it was God anointing and appointing and God's commands always have blessings and promises attached to them for thus says the Lord God of Israel Elijah said the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. What the widow did not know that day is that what she was being asked to give was the key to surviving her situation. It was the key to coming out of the troubled time in her nation. It was the key to finding a way into a future of blessing and not of cursing. And so she could eat and die if she wanted to. 
She could go home and forget she ever met Elijah and eat and die. But God was saying, you don't have to eat and die in the middle of this mess in your world. You can give and live. You don't have to eat and die. You can give and live. And that was God's plan. The little that she had was only enough to sustain her for a little time. But if she was willing to give when it was difficult, it was enough to bring her through the famine. And one of the greatest barriers to coming out of difficult times is our reluctance to give when it hurts. To let go when it feels like we should be holding on. To make the difficult choices. To embrace the sacrifice required to receive the blessing that God has in store for us. The easy choice was to eat and to die. It provided instant gratification. But behind it, ultimate demise. And listen, there's a high cost for short-sighted living. There's a high cost for doing things that feel better in the moment. Is that all right if I just get down to where we live today? Most of us would have been mad at the preacher. How many of you just be honest and say, that's asking a little too much. The price is a little too steep. But what we don't understand is what God is speaking and what God is saying on the other side of eternity's equation. The hard choice was to muster up the faith to give so that she could live. It wasn't easy. It required putting herself and her son second. It required a difficult conversation. She had to come home. And while she was cooking, you know he was hanging out. How many of y'all do that? Y'all hang out in the kitchen while the cooking's happening, just salivating, just waiting. You know he was hungry, and so he was standing there, and she had to go home and have a tough conversation. Honey, this ain't for us. This is for the prophet of God. And it required a difficult conversation. It required a whole lot of hope. And a whole lot of faith to feed the prophet first. But when she did, everything changed because there was a promise attached to the sacrifice. First Kings 17, 15. She went and she did as Elijah said. And she and he and her household ate for many days. She was looking at the problem of the moment. But God was saying, if you will put it in my hands, when you give to me, I don't, we, you know, here's what we do. We think addition. I'm going to need some for tomorrow. We think addition, but God thinks multiplication. And she was thinking, I just need a little bit more to get through. But God was saying, not only am I going to feed you and your family, but I'm going to keep my prophet well. I'm going to keep my prophet fed so that at the appointed time, he can get down and pray so that rain can come and replenish the earth. And listen, her little flour and her little oil was the key to her nation's turnaround. It was the key to the abundance of rain that Elijah would one day hear. It was the key in the the toughest moment and in the most difficult circumstances to lay down and let go of what she had so that not only she could be blessed but so that Elijah could be blessed so that the people could recover and so that life and hope and joy could return to her nation. Is anybody hearing me today? We're living in a time that's difficult to give. It's difficult But God is able to supply. And listen, she did what Elijah said in her household ate for many days. 
And listen, the jar was not spent. Neither did the jug of oil become empty. According to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah, the next day when she went back, there was still oil. Now listen, God didn't give her a barn full. She didn't win the lottery. She didn't win a contest on Facebook. She didn't sign up for a car. She didn't do any of that. She she didn't enter anything. God gave her enough to get through and enough to feed the prophet every day till the famine was over. God provided for her. Now listen, if he had given her all of it like she might have wanted, do you think that she would have been able to keep it? They would have surrounded her house. Give it to us. And it would have been gone. But God knew exactly what she needed to get through the time that she was living in. God knew exactly what she needed was enough to provide for her and for the preacher. Because the rain would not come until the preacher spoke. And he needed to live until that day came. And if he can live, then the nation could live. And God tied everything in the future up with this one woman that he has to give extravagantly in a time of pain and sorrow. You see, the key to coming out of trouble is not in hunkering down and holding back. It's in having the faith to live and to give even when it hurts. To serve when you feel unappreciated. To praise even when your problems persist. To refuse to let what is happening around you to determine what is important within you. Is anybody hearing me? I'm not just preaching about money today. But I'm saying that there are some times that it's difficult to pour ourselves out. And if there's ever been a time where the world needs the church to give sacrificially, it's now. Now. There's a spiritual principle at work in the story that troubling times will tempt you to think small. Troubling times will tempt you to reduce your footprint, to conserve your energy, to focus on you and yours, to back off your commitments, to hold on to what you have as long as you can. But what the widow learned is that God could provide everything she needed if she would prioritize his purpose and open her heart and her hands to what God was asking of her. It takes faith to give like that. It took faith to feed the purpose of God rather than to consume it upon her own desire and lust. It took faith to believe that God would come through. And many, many would have called Elijah's tactic predatory funny. Many would have called his tactic predatory. How dare you ask these people to give when they have so little. That's the world we live in today. But for the widow, it was a test of faith and the key to her tomorrows. The reality was that God had so much more in store for her if she was willing and faithful enough to trust God with what she already had. You see, when God says give, it's because he really wants us to live. But as long as we think that God is against us and God is requiring something of us that we will never get back or that it will cost too much or that God is somehow cruel, we are robbing ourselves of becoming a life-giving conduit. You see, here's what God blesses. He doesn't, ju- he doesn't bless people and personalities. God is not a respecter of persons. Here's what God blesses. God always blesses His purpose. His purpose. You can't live holy enough to earn the blessings of God. 
You can't do your religion right enough to earn the blessings of God. But listen, if you, it doesn't matter if, even if you got some stuff wrong in your life. Even if you don't know God, this widow said, the Lord, your God. She wasn't even living for God. But listen, if you can just learn that it's not about me, it's not about my personality, but if I can get plugged in to the purpose of God, God always blesses his purpose because God doesn't send stuff to us. God wants to send stuff through us. God blesses his purpose. He wants us to live. Her little gift of flour and oil was not a sacrifice. It was a seed for her future. Her outcome depended on sowing that seed into the purpose of God. And her blessing didn't just sustain her family, but it changed a nation. Her blessing didn't just sustain her little family, her little house, but it was a blessing to all those around her. You see, you have no idea what God can produce through a single seed planted in faith. You have no idea what God wants to do when God checks your heart and asks you to do something that you don't want to do. That God asks you to live in a way that you don't want to live. When God asks you to give an offering that physically hurts when you write that check. Is anybody hearing me today? You never know what God wants to do through one small sacrifice and we we tend to be stuck in the addition and subtraction game but God is thinking multiplication and God commanded there a widow to sustain a prophet so that a prophet could preach and the rain would return and the rain would give life to the land and everybody around her she was the unsung hero of her people they never really knew it until it was recorded in the word of God why are we here? we're here because people gave we, why are we here? we're here because somebody was willing to trust God enough to lay down what they had to trust that the cause was greater than their concern to trust that God can take what I give him and multiply it for his purpose and his kingdom. I, in my studies, I ran across Psalm 126. I'm, I'm winding to a close here. Psalm 126 is a unique portion of scripture. And I love it. I've come to love it over the last few days because of what it communicates. It is called a song of ascents. There were 14 songs, psalms of degrees or ascents in which Israel would ascend to Jerusalem to worship God for the feast. And this is the seventh of those psalms. It's the seventh one. And in this particular psalm, Israel was coming out of captivity. The world was amazed by what God had done for his people. They were free from Babylon and God miraculously, by the power of His Spirit, began to bring people back to Jerusalem out of their quarantine of 70 years. And this psalm was written as they're coming back into Jerusalem to worship after they hadn't been away able to do that for a long time. I saw as I began to study how, how poignant and how fitting this passage is for where we are right now. 
who just come back to worship, who just come back to the house of God. And listen, it's a psalm of degrees. And verse 1 says, When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. That's how I felt last Sunday when the music started and we got to worship in here. It was like a dream, like a dream come true. We get to come back to the house of God. Listen to what they say. They said, Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. And then they say among the heathen, The Lord hath done great things for them. They were a light to their world. The world was taking notice of what God was doing in Israel because these people were coming back to the heart of worship, coming back to the house of God. And God was doing great things in Israel. And they sing, Listen, the Lord hath done great things for us whereof we are glad. They were glad to be back in the house of God. Glad to be back in the city of God. Glad that God had finally let them out of their captivity and out of their cage to come and worship Him. But then the psalm takes a turn. And they say this, as they're celebrating the goodness of God, they say again in verse 4, listen to this, Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as streams in the south. Turn again our captivity. I read this and I thought, what on earth? They're just talking about how glad they are to be free. How glad they are, how the nations have marveled at the goodness of God to set them free from the hand of an oppressing. They were slaves but now they're free. They were lost but now they're found. They, they were scattered but now they're gathered. They're back. They're back. What do you mean turn again our captivity? What do you mean? And they understood that just being let out of Babylon wouldn't undo all the things that they had lost while they were there. Just coming home and coming back to a place of worship wasn't going to help them to restore their nation and see their economy flourish again and see the house of God full again. That isn't what was going to work. They said, turn again. They recognized we've still got a ways to go. Turn again our captivity, O oh Lord like streams in the south. See, here's the thing is in Israel, there were some streams that they didn't flow year-round. But when the yearly rains came, rains would start to flow from upstream and they would reach the southernmost part, which was a desert. But when the rain came, it came suddenly down dry stream beds and that which was dead began to live again. That which was dry now began to grow. They could plant and they could harvest there and they could have a future there when the rains came and they said God we don't just want to be free but let your rain fall and let it refresh and restore and renew us again listen he says let it come like the rains and then he tells how how God is going to restore he says they that sow, somebody say sow, they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. They're going to come back 
in that first generation that came back to Jerusalem, they had to fight off enemies. They had to build walls. They had to relay uh, the bricks and the stones of the temple. They had some work cut out for them. It wasn't all easy. It was difficult at times. They wanted to quit at times. The enemy schemed against them and weapons were formed against them. Listen, the Bible never said the weapons would not be formed. It said that they would not prosper. And he understood that if God is going to restore and renew our land, it's going to be because some people sow in tears so that they can reap in joy. For he that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. This terminology, precious seed, was talking about the harvest seed. You see, a lot of the grain they would use to feed themselves. But when the season of eating was over and it came close to planting time, supplies would run low. And they would have little left and, and, and they would have just enough seed to sow their fields again. And, and if they wanted to, they could eat that seed. Because they say even today in Africa where they have seasonal harvest, that at harvest time families will eat two meals a day. But when it comes close to planting time, their supplies have diminished. And they have little left. And they leave back some seed in their life. So that when it comes time to plant, they can sow that seed. They could eat it and die. Eat it and starve. Cancel out their future, their hope, their promises. They could consume it upon their own desire and their hunger or with tears in their eyes because they know the cost to the little hungry stomachs in the house. The farmer could take that precious seed, their last hope, and they could take it into the fields and sow it, believing that something would spring up and that a harvest would come again. And the psalmist says this of Israel. He says, if we're ever going to come out and if we're ever going to have the future that God wants for us, and if we're ever going to have times of joy, it's going to take some times of sowing in tears. It's going to take some time of sacrifice in seed time. It's going to take some times of giving when it hurts to give, and praying when it hurts to pray, and worshiping when we don't feel like it, and serving the kingdom of God even though we don't have much time. And it's going to take prioritizing the purpose of God even in the moment of our pain listen there's a promise in the pain listen to what he says he that goeth forth and weepeth bearing precious seed shall doubtless come again somebody say doubtless shall doubtless come again rejoicing shall doubtless come again rejoicing are we thankful for everything that God has done yes but listen church now is the time to plug in. Now is the time to live and give like we've never given before because there are people that need to be refreshed in our world. Do you know the suicide rate is now uh, every four weeks right now in America? Every four weeks there's many suicides happening as usually happens in one year. Now is the time to sow our seed. Now is the
is the time to reach our world. Now is the time because if it's ever going to come back like it used to be and if we're ever going to see what God wants to do and if the drought and the dryness of our world is ever going to be broken, it's going to take giving and living for the purposes of God. I want us to stand together. You know, I... As I prayed this week, I felt like God told me some of us have been reaping small lives because we've been sowing little seed. We've allowed circumstances to turn our focus inward. And I'm preaching to people who have struggled to see past your present pain to a greater future. Will it ever be the same again? Will our nation ever recover? Will the lost jobs and lost income would ever come back and listen uh, I recently heard a story of a pastor who all the way back in 1987 went to the deathbed of a dying woman a young woman who had been fighting cancer he said he stood by her as her last breath was leaving her body and her hands were clenched so tightly like she was trying to hold on everything she had to that last breath of life and he said that when she took her last breath she breathed out her last time her hands didn't just relax he said they opened and they spread wide open all the way he said the Lord spoke to him in that moment and said the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away He said that he went back to his church after that. And he went and got down on the altar and he began to pray. And he said God began to deal with him about living with open hands. Because here's what we do. We worry and we fear and we try to hold on to the things that we have. We worry about our children and about those close to us. And I would do more for others, but what about me? And and here's what our problem is is if we don't open our hands, life and death will. You're going to lose it all anyways. And God, help us to learn to live with an open hand. What does that mean? It means saying, God, take from me anything that you want to have. God, any money, any time, any talent, any effort, whether it's what you, whoever you want me to pray for, whoever you want me to talk to, God, whatever it is that you want me to do, God. Help me to open up my hands so that I can really live, so that others can really live. I wonder, I wonder if the only reason we haven't seen revival like the Bible says is because Christians are living with closed hands. It's not about me. It's not about us. God doesn't want to give to us. God wants to give through us. I hear God saying, you've been holding so tightly what I've given you. But you need to learn to live with an open hand. To learn to live in a God gravity where God, anything you want, I'll give it. Anything you want, I'll give it, God. Anything you want, Lord, I'll give it away. And Lord, anything that you want, here's the beauty. 
is the great pioneer of the AME. Biddy Mason died in an unmarked grave. About 100 years later, they came back and finally honored her for the life of giving that she had given. She was a, a released slave that gave her life to help others. And they put up a tombstone that talked about giving with an open hand. I want to read you the quote before I close right quick. On her tombstone, it said, The open hand is blessed, for it gives in abundance as it receives. And the hand that gives so generously leaves a great legacy. Look, when you live with an open hand, you're living in a different ecosystem in the world. You're living without inner anxiety and turmoil. You don't have to fear losing things because when I lose things, it's because I wasn't supposed to have them. And when I gain things, it's because God said that they are mine. I don't have to worry about my future. And I don't have to live as a slave to my past. Why? Because my heart so trusts God that my hand is open to give and to receive. And if He wants me to receive, I want to receive it. And if He wants me to give, I want to give it. Today, here's my prayer. Is that we're going to pray with our families. Those close, we're not going to mix and mingle, but we're going to have a little different prayer ending before we give our offering. I want our ushers to go ahead and move to the doors. We're going to pray together that God would transform our mentality. I prayed this for me this week. God, help me to be a giver. God, help me to be a giver. God, help me to lay down and leave a legacy, to lay things down that you're asking. Listen, this week God is going to ask you for some things that hurt, but hear the promise behind it, that the jars shall not be empty and the flowers shall not run out. If God asks you to give it, you sow that seed in faith. Come on, would you grab your family right now and say, Lord, would you open our heart? Would you open our hands, God? Because you've got a reason. God, you've got a purpose. You've got a calling for your church. God, you want us to reach our world, and we'll never do it with little living. God, for when we sow sparingly, we reap sparingly. But God, you said if we would sow bountifully, we will reap bountifully. God, I pray you would let a giving and generous spirit, a willing heart come upon the people of God today. God, let it wash over us. Let it wash over us. I want to give, Lord, so that somebody else can live. God, I want to pour out my life as an offering and a sacrifice so that somebody else can live. Come on, would somebody pray it from your heart? Right there, would you lay hands on your family and say, God, I give myself away. I give myself away. our families right now. Come on, we need to pray for a revival of giving. Not just money, but giving our time. Giving our effort. Opening our hand to God and saying, Lord, whatever you have for me. God, whatever you want for me. That's what I want today, God. In the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord. Can we give the Lord a hand clap of praise? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Now listen, I'm going to close in prayer. Uh, 
The offering plate is available at the back if you want to go by and give before you leave. But I pray that your heart would be open. I pray that God would let you cross paths with somebody. Somebody might need a word this week. Somebody might need your prayer this week. Somebody might need some money this week. Amen. But whatever it is, I pray that God would open up the windows of heaven and pour out blessings that this church cannot contain. I don't preach this because I want anybody to give a bigger offering. I preach it because I want you to see the purpose and the plan of God unfold in your life. God, we thank you for everything you've given us, God, for everything that you've placed in our hands. Lord, every good and perfect gift comes from you. And God, today we open our hands to give into your kingdom our life, our prayer, our faith, our service, God, everything that we are, everything that we have, we give it to you today. And God, we're trusting, God, for your outcome, trusting for your divine will to unfold in our life. We pray that you would bless us as we depart this house, and may your blessings rest upon each family and home. In Jesus' name, may God richly bless each and every one of you. You can be dismissed. Please be respectful of people's space around you. God bless you.